Good evening. You know, I hate cancer. I hate it. We have so many in this congregation that are dealing with it. You always say cancer never wins. People say, well, we lost so-and-so to cancer, or he or she lost their battle to cancer. Uh, we never lose to cancer. If you're in Christ, you don't lose any of those battles. But it sure does seem like it's winning sometimes, doesn't it? On this side of eternity and this side of the cross, it sure seems like that sickness is winning at times. You ever talk to people where they're facing trials or tribulations, they're going through adversity in their lives, and they tell you about what they're dealing with, and they punctuate it all with the phrase, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Do any of y'all have as much problem with that phrase as I do? I mean, it, it bothers me a little bit. It really does. Because I sit there and I think about it. What are we implying with that phrase? That everything is God's will, basically. The hidden message within that phrase is that everything that happens to you is good and right if you just wait long enough. It's a dangerous message. Everything may happen for a reason, but it's not necessarily that God's behind it. You see, when we talk about reasoning and we talk about what happens to us, we can't blame God for every single thing that comes upon us. God did not cause Adam and Eve to eat that forbidden fruit. God did not cause Cain to kill Abel. God did not cause David to commit adultery with Bathsheba. God does not sanction school shootings. God did not sanction what those terrorists did when they flew those planes into the Twin Towers killing thousands. And as I've said before, God does not kill small children because he needs another angel in heaven. That's absurd. But when we buy into the everything happens for a reason concept, that's kind of what we're saying, isn't it? That no matter what is, what is happening, what befalls us, God is behind it somehow, and it's really good in disguise. When I lived in Missouri, there was a young girl, 12 years old, that was kidnapped. She was raped and killed. There is nothing good about that. I don't care how you spin it. You can't make that good. Nothing. It's completely wicked and evil what was done to her, and there's nothing good that can come out of that. But the idea is that even something like that, terrible tragedy, is really goodness in disguise. And God's going to make it right. Here's the deal. Everything may happen for a reason. But God not, may not be behind everything that happens. Where did this notion come from? I'm not real sure. But I think Romans 8.28 has to do with it a little bit. I think, you know, it's an improper rendering or not considering the context, but I think a lot of times people point to Romans 8.28, which says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Many people take Paul's words to mean that everything is good if you just wait long enough. We hear this quoted in the midst of adversity. We see this verse on all sorts of religious paraphernalia, on t-shirts and on coffee mugs and on bumper stickers. It sounds good. It certainly sets well with the majority of people. But Romans 8.28, in context, has nothing to do with bad things being good because God's going to change the landscape of it. 
And please, please let us not suggest that God causes all affliction to occur. Romans 8.28 in no way affirms that God is the source of all of the earth's ills or is behind every tragedy that befalls people. Does he permit them? Yes. Does he allow them? Yes, we can say that. Does he approve? No, not always. You see, I realize that there were times in the Old Testament when God was bringing his people back into compliance where he pronounced judgment upon them, where he brought destruction upon them. But even in those cases, it was benevolent in nature because God had a big plan for his people, a greater plan that he was calling them to. But to say or to suggest that God is behind every evil, every tragedy in the world, and that it's somehow good if you could just see it differently, is absurd. I've mentioned my uncle before. He passed away in 2013. In many ways, was a brilliant man, and in some ways, a good man. But he had spent much of his life being an intravenous drug user, and it caused him to contract hepatitis. He was on a waiting list for a liver, and he died waiting for that liver. Was that God's plan? Was it God's plan for my uncle to use drugs much of his life so that he contracts hepatitis and dies from it? Was that part of God's plan? No. My uncle bore the consequences of making wrong choices. God allowed it, but he didn't want that. You think about David and Bathsheba. That's a good biblical example. God would not sanction the relationship with David and Bathsheba. He didn't sanction what he did in having Uriah killed. And while we can say that David was still a man after God's own heart, I don't think that we can overlook the fact that that relationship with David and Bathsheba produced a lot of heartache. There was a lot of mess that resulted from that. Now, I, I know that we cannot deny that God can work in the midst of tragedy. Certainly, God can work in the midst of adversity to bring about good. I'm not saying that. I mean, Joseph is a prime example of that, isn't he? Here's a man who was sold by his jealous brothers into slavery. He refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. She makes up some stuff about him. He's thrown in prison and left there for many years. But because God was working in that situation, he rises to prominence. He gains a position of authority. He saves the, the Israelites and the surrounding nations from a famine. And notice verse 20 of uh, Genesis chapter 50, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God was at work despite the evil intentions of Joseph's brothers. Notice that Joseph doesn't say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. None of it was good in the moment. The things that his brothers did to him, the fact that he ended up in prison, none of that was good in the moment. But God is good, and he always is, and he was working in that situation to bring about good. So we can't deny that. The first man to be appointed king over the Israelite people was Saul, right? The people wanted a king like the pagan nations around them. They wanted to be like everyone else. God knew that that wasn't a good idea. He sent the prophet Samuel on the scene to warn them that you're making a big mistake, but they wouldn't relent. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. Saul, the man who looked like a king, he acted like a king, he, he smelled like a king. I mean, he was the king that they so desired. And of course, he led them down a very precarious path. But in the midst of all that, God was at work, wasn't he? 
and he used this kingship to bring about King David, the line which Jesus would come from. I mean, it's a beautiful story how God uses that situation with the people wanting a king, giving them a, a king like Saul, but using that to set up the king David to bring about good. Romans 8.28 is a promise. It's a promise that whatever I deal with in life, no matter how bad things may get, tragedy will not triumph. No matter how many curveballs life throws at me, I win in the end. That is the message of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, if you can wade through that and you read through the Bible and you get through Revelation, you know that the theme is we win. Cancer can't defeat us. Nothing can defeat us. No matter how much evil or tragedy comes into this life, it will not win. That doesn't mean it's actually good and we just don't see it. No, it's really bad. But the end result will always be good because as a Christian, we win. We talked about this this morning, Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God never said that life would be fair. He never said that it would all be convenient and good. But he did give us a promise that there is something better. That this life is going somewhere. Like we talked about this morning, the past is prologue. The resurrection means that life is going somewhere. And we have an eternal promise to look to. And nothing can thwart the plan of God. But some would say, isn't this idea that everything happens for a reason, isn't it pretty harmless? I mean, what's it matter if somebody thinks that way? Does it really hurt anything? And I would say to that, yes, it absolutely does. For a few reasons. Number one, it can breed frustration with God. I mean, maybe you've been in a situation where You've lost a loved one, or maybe you've been diagnosed with a debilitating disease, and a Christian brother or sister who means well comes to you and says, well, you know, maybe God afflicted you with this to bring you closer to him. And I mean, I've heard things like that. How would you feel if somebody said that to you? If that's how God operates, then no thanks, right? If that's how God's going to operate, I just assume he stay out of my life. I don't want anything to do with him. And that's how people get to think if that's the reasoning. You see how this can breed frustration? How many people do we know that have given up on God because they think God is after them? Or maybe a well-meaning, sincere person tried to convince them that God was putting them through this to make them a stronger, better person. I don't like this reasoning because it breeds frustration with God. Secondly, I think it leads to sanitizing sin. Sin can't be all that bad if God's behind it, right? I mean, have you heard reasoning like that? I've actually heard people say, well, I committed murder and I ended up in prison, but I became a Christian. I was converted there, so God made this happen for a reason. Yeah, God wanted you to kill somebody. That's ridiculous. It's great that you were converted in prison, but don't get this twisted. 
Don't get this idea that God caused you to commit murder so that you would end up in prison because he had a bigger purpose in mind. I always say this when I'm counseling with married couples. God will not send you someone else's soulmate. You don't solve marital problems by bringing a third party into it. But yet there are people who say, well, you know, my first wife, uh, you know, it just didn't work out. But God sent me, you know, my soulmate in the midst of all that. Yeah, I cheated on her. I left all my family and everything. But God is blessing this union. No, no, no. That's not how this works. But that's what happens so often is we sanitize sin and we think it's not that big a deal because God's behind everything, right? And so my sin is actually really a good thing because God wants this for me. Something else. I think this doctrine is dangerous because it can foster irresponsibility. There's a man who was a preacher in a full gospel church, a charismatic church. His name was Punkin Brown Jr., he was 34 years of age and believed that he had the gift of taking up serpents. Re read about that in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, you know, where they handled serpents, the apostles handled serpents, and they could be bid and they weren't harmed or anything like that. And he believed that he had that gift. And so he stood before his congregation one Sunday morning with a three-foot timber rattler, and it bit him on the end of the finger, and within 10 minutes he died. Now what makes this story even more tragic is that he had five children, and his wife, three years earlier, did the same thing and was killed. And now five children are left without a mother and a father because someone was irresponsible and didn't take Scripture seriously. You see, this, this reasoning, everything happens for a reason, it can, it can breed this irresponsibility. Some people will strike out on a shaky business venture and... and Something they have no business doing is that, well, the God will take care of me. They make irresponsible choices. Well, God's there to pick me up. God is not your crutch. He's not simply there to make your life easy or convenient or to, or to save you every time you do something silly. Now, I do think it needs to be said that the idea that everything happens for a reason has some merit. It's just that the reason may not be God, right? I mean, there may be a reason for everything happening. It just may not be God that's behind it. For instance, we live in a fallen world. You know that. Shortly after the sin of Adam and Eve, Cain committed murder on his brother Abel. I mean, that's no coincidence. Mother Nature's been in a bad mood ever since. You know, you, all you got to do is turn on the television or open up the newspaper and you see tornadoes, volcanoes, all kinds of natural disasters. You see people using their free will in a way that is totally ungodly. That's not God's fault. We live in a fallen world, and we have to understand that that may be the reason behind some of this. Secondly, bad things happen when we ignore God's warning. That's a reason. We say everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and sometimes it's because you're stupid, and we have to acknowledge that. Proverbs 1.33 reads, But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
Peter tells us that contained within the pages of Scripture is everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. The Bible is a compass. It's the words of life. It is our spiritual GPS. It is our field manual through this life. Use any analogy you want. It is God's spoken word to us. And if we choose to ignore it, we bear the consequences. And that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Along these same lines, stuff happens because we make wrong decisions. We've all made poor choices. We've all paid the consequences for poor choices. Some of them may, may have been rather minor. Maybe we hit a baseball and it went through somebody's window and we had to pay for that. Maybe we bumped somebody's car in the Walmart parking lot trying to fit into a parking space. Some of them are rather minor, but some of them can be very serious, right? I mean, some are not that catastrophic, but some of them can be. When we drink in excess and we become a slave to a bottle, it can tear our family apart. When we decide to have an extramarital affair, it can ruin our family. and There's always collateral damage. When we get arrested and, and maybe we have to do prison time, that affects the rest of our family. Not only that, but it affects our reputation, our character, right? Those are all poor choices. We don't blame God for that. We blame ourselves. At least we should. Like we talked about this morning, we so often want to justify ourselves and try to get ourselves off the hook. But you know why in the 12-step process of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first one is recognizing a higher power? You know why that's the first step? Because the inventors of that list said that until you recognize that there is a higher power and that you're to blame, then you're never going to really get help. You're never really going to get to where you need to be. Same is true with us. Until we realize we're the problem and there's someone that can justify us, that there's someone who can, who can help us, who can rescue us, until we come to that conclusion, we'll never be saved, right? We have to understand that our poor, cho our poor choices are not things that God sanctions. He regrets them. He he's disappointed that we make them. He's not to blame. Sin is a personal problem. It's a personal choice. But the good news is that God promises to forgive if we come to him in humble repentance. You're washed in the blood of Christ. We have a, a wonderful, beautiful, free gift that God has given us. It's the gift of free will. And we can use that in ways that, that promote him, that please him. But we can use that free will in ways that greatly disappoint him and condemn ourselves in the process. Here's the thing. I think there are many people in our world that believe that God has orchestrated every single minute detail and circumstance of our life to where he is so in control that anything that happens, he's to blame. Well, he let this happen, or he made this happen because he's in complete control. And the fact that we live in a fallen world never enters into their mind. The fact that they made a poor choice never enters into their mind. Or the fact that Satan is at work never enters into their mind. Quit giving God the credit for the devil's handiwork. Satan is alive and well. And while we win in the end, while we win the war, he's winning a lot of battles along the way, isn't he? Shake your head, yes, you can attest to that because you've been a victim. You know what it's like to lie wounded. I was talking to my dad 
this afternoon and we were talking about my grandfather, actually my mom's dad, not his dad, his father-in-law. My grandfather, I've talked about many times, a hero of mine, a, a man that I, I so looked up to and wish he was still around, but he won a bronze star in World War II. And you know, back then when you went off to war, you, you didn't come back home until it was done. You know, he was there for four years and they were in the Harz Mountains in Germany and there was an enemy machine gun nest that was firing at them and he was losing men and, and he decided he had to do something. And, and so they take this, this enemy machine gun nest and, and he, shoots, he shoots the person that is doing all the firing and he gets up there and he realizes that it's a 14-year-old boy. And that stuck with him for the rest of his life. It just, it, it bothered him so much. I mean, you look at it and you say, well, you would have died if you hadn't done something. But then, you know, like he said, that's somebody's boy. That's somebody's son. I killed somebody's son. And he lived with that for the rest of his life. And, and I asked him one time, I called him people. I said, how did, how did you spend four years over there, and how could you pull that trigger? I, I don't even know how you could do all that. And he said, son, you know, after a while, you're just ready to get it over with, one way or the other. He said, that's a horrible way of thinking, but when you're over there, it's like, kill me or I'll kill you, but I'm just ready to be done with all this. You know, life is tough. I mean, some of you are dealing with some things that I could never even imagine. You know, we, we deal with things on a regular basis where it seems like the devil is winning. Whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's losing a loved one, whatever it may be. And I think our natural reaction may be to blame God. When what we should really be doing is turning to God. Because in all of this. We know that at the end of it all, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how horrible and terrible it is, we win. That's the beautiful message. Romans 8.28 is more about providence than it is anything else, that no matter what happens to us, in the end, we are victorious. And as we just read a moment ago, nothing can take that away. We talked about this morning, nothing can pry us out of the hands of a loving God when we remain faithful. So, maybe you're dealing with something tonight that is something that is beyond your control and something you feel like is just hammering down, beating you down. Maybe you need the prayers. Maybe you need the support of this church family. Maybe it's just good old-fashioned sin. Maybe sin is just beating you down and you need prayers. Maybe you need to make a decision tonight to put on Christ in baptism, rise a new creature in Christ. Live a new life as a slave, a bond slave to Christ and not to sin. I, I don't know what you're dealing with, but we want to help you. Do not leave here tonight without being right with God. Instead of blaming God for every single thing, let's turn to God, knowing we have victory in Him. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or 